Oh, it's good. It's good to be here with you guys this morning uh, in person. It's a nice crowd here. And online, we're glad that you're able to still join with us that way. Um, Kevin is away this morning. Uh, he, act, he is at another church in Guelph. So he's at New Life uh, Christian Reformed Church. And he's speaking and doing some blues music for them this morning. And uh, this is, New Life is one, of, is one of many churches in Guelph who are a part of what we do here in, uh, at Royal City Mission. So they, uh, they have volunteers. They support us financially. Um, and they do some of their own work over in the east end of the city with a clothing closet. And we're, uh, we're lucky to be able to partner. We're blessed to be able to partner with them. And it's a good reminder, as, uh, as Kevin is there, and if you want, you can watch it later. I think they post, like every church now, they post it online. But it's a good reminder that we are part of something that is much bigger than what we are here, right? We get to participate in the Guelph Church, which is all of the churches who claim Jesus as Lord across, across Guelph, which is many and quite diverse, right? Um, so we celebrate, we celebrate that this morning. Uh, we're, we're continuing our, our journey through the Stations of the Cross. And this morning we're at the seventh sta- station. And this morning we witness Jesus bearing the cross. And there's only one verse that kind of highlights this. And it appears in, uh, in the gospel, in most of the gospels, but the one that we're going to focus on is from John. And it's John chapter 19, verse 17. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place of the skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. Carrying the cross by himself. There aren't many characters in this passage, and there aren't many details, are there? But as we've been using our imagination to kind of flush out the different pieces, let's, let's do that again this morning. And I invite you to imagine yourself in this scene. Imagine yourself as a person in the crowd. You've been there all day. You watched the trial before the Sanhedrin, and then you saw Jesus being dragged before Pontius Pilate. You heard the claims against him and watched Pilate wash his hands of the situation. You found yourself caught up in the energy of the crowd and even joined in when you were, they were shouting for Jesus to be crucified. You saw Jesus dragged away into the guardhouse and you've been waiting outside. You've been chatting with your friends who were there with you. The air was warm, dusty, and it has that rank of humanity. The energy of the crowd is a bit subdued at this point, but there's still a hum just running below the surface. And you hear a commotion. Jesus is being dragged out of the guardhouse by soldiers on either side of him. They force him to stand on his own feet. He's unsteady, but he manages to stand. He's bruised 
bloodied and naked except for a crown of thorns that has been pushed deep into the flesh of his head. Once the soldiers have Jesus standing, they grab a wooden, heavy wooden cross and place it over Jesus' shoulders, soldier, soldiers and force him to walk forward at spear point. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been abandoned by his friends, falsely accused, beaten, and tortured. And then this. Forced to carry his own cross. Forced to carry his own form of execution to the place of his coming death. Jesus has endured. And, you know, we use that as a figure of speech in English, right? We say, a cross to bear. You know, when we're talking about a problem that causes us trouble or worry, and we use it both seriously and lightheartedly, don't we? Right? We say things that, well, we all have crosses to bear. Or that loss was a heavy cross for her to bear. You know? And this phrase, it alludes to the cross being carried by Jesus on the way to his crucifixion. It alludes to the station. And Jesus himself actually, in a prophetic moment earlier in the gospel story, alludes to the cross. You can read it in in Luke chapter 9. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? When they replied, some said John the Baptist. And when they replied, some said John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus, is, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone, of his, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. As I consider this station of Jesus bearing the cross, I, it's short, but into me I see two, two characters in the scene. I think first and obviously there's Jesus, who in his humanity is forced to bear this cross by an outside power but in his divinity allows himself to bear the cross because he could have walked away at any time. 
The other character I see in here is, I don't know what else to call it other than the empire. The collective power that are inflicting this on Jesus. I think this obviously includes the Roman Empire and its oppressive systems, but it's also the Jewish religious and political leaders who used their power and influence to get Jesus to this point. It's even the crowd, it's the mob mentality that have, a, that have brought us here. And it's interesting because Jesus himself was offered and tempted by this power, the power, power of wealth, the power of influence. See, during his desert fast at the start of his ministry, Jesus was shown all the kingdoms of the world and promised that they could be his. Jesus was given the opportunity to have and to wield the power which would end up forcing him to bear the cross. I think the lure of power must have been significant for Jesus, especially in this moment. Because I think being who he was, he could have taken it up at any time. That temptation didn't end in the desert. He didn't say no, and it went away. I think all of us know temptation doesn't work that way. Resisting once doesn't mean we've won all time, right? Yet Jesus chooses instead to bear the cross. He says, he, he models a, a taking up of the cross instead of, being, instead of entering into the power that forces others to bear the cross for them. Jesus was invitational, right? He wasn't directive when he said this to the disciples, give up your own, life, give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is something they were invited into, called into. Because it's something that ultimately we have to choose to do for ourselves. We're lucky and blessed enough to follow a God who does not force us to love him back. This posture of invitation and the model of endurance we see in Jesus as he bears the cross is a lot more difficult and more trying than it seems. Because the allure of power, of wealth, of influence... It's always before us. It's always saying to us that there is an easier, less painful way. Catholic Archbishop Renato Martino, I probably just butchered that. Anyways, he wrote a paper to the United Nations. He was a liaison from from the Pope to the United Nations, and it was titled, Unjust Status Quo Will Continue Fueling Conflict. And in it he wrote, any serious campaign against terrorism needs to address the social, economic, and political conditions that nurture the emergence of terrorism. The most dramatic example of inequality is the growing gap between the rich and the poor. The North, containing a fifth of the world population, controls 80% of the wealth and resources. The South, with four-fifths of the world population, has only 20% of the wealth and resources. This is not only unjust, it's a threat to the stability of the planet. I think it's really unfortunate that the Archbishop felt he had to frame this in terms of instability. 
but I think given his audience, it was the only hope he had to be heard. Because the reality is that injustice is usually not enough to move people who are in power. Because the injustice doesn't affect those who are in power. It doesn't affect the ones who hold the wealth and the influence. And I don't think Jesus, when he was here with us and teaching us, I don't think he was after a stable world economy. I don't think Jesus was out there preaching saying, look, if you follow me, we'll have a stable world economy. Right? It feels a bit absurd. But I do think Jesus was out there advocating for fair and equal justice for all people. Which probably means a stable world economy. But not the point, right? See, he came preaching good news to the poor. He lived with them and he eventually died with them. There's many who believe that Golgotha, the place of the skull, was a garbage dump. Probably a home to the poorest of the poor in the, in the area. And Jesus, Jesus, in the midst of this, he called people who wanted to follow him to, to give up their possessions. Not everybody, but they're specifically, you think of the rich young ruler, you read about it in, Matthew, in Mark 10. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. When we talk about bearing the cross, it's much more difficult with someone, for someone with wealth and power to bear a cross. Right? Because why would you? When you can pay someone else to do it for you, or you can force someone else to do it for you, why would you ever bear the cro a cross? I think this is why Jesus said that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why bear a cross when you can nail someone else to it? Why experience poverty when you can inflict poverty on others? And this might strike you as a bit unfair, well, I tell you personally, I'm convinced that people are poor most often for larger systemic issues. Issues that have impacted their ability to work, their families, their land, or, or their mental health. And I'm definitely not making a claim that everybody has the right and the ability to be rich. I think that's the American dream and it's a load of crap. But personally, I do dream of a world, just as I think Jesus dreamed of a world, where there is justice for everybody. I was reading this week, and I, I can't remember where I read it or I, I quote the person, 
but it said, by all means, take up your cross and follow Jesus. But don't nail someone else to one. And I think this is the call that Jesus models for us, to bear our cross daily, to endure just as he did. I think the saying, take up your cross, has lost some of the power and some of its original meaning in our use of it. We say it lightheartedly, right? And I think in that kind of lighthearted approach, it also has kind of perverted a bit of our thinking of it. We, we end up glorifying human suffering a little. We say things like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or we misquote Jesus and say, blessed are the poor, and use this as a justification to do nothing. The thinking goes, if bearing a cross makes us holy, then encouraging others to bear crosses or actively nailing them to the crosses must also be holy. At least this is how I think the powerful want to interpret the words of Jesus. We want to pervert the message of Jesus. We want to become the empire in this station rather than being like Jesus. Of course, Jesus did say, blessed are the poor. And he encouraged many to sell what they have and give the proceeds to the poor. St. Francis and other Christian saints throughout history have embraced voluntary poverty. And they have found, and they have found joy in the midst of this voluntary suffering. Joy in the midst of t bearing that chosen cross daily. But I think many Christians were tempted to see poverty as a benign reality instead of something to be alleviated, challenged, and fought against. When Jesus said to the young ruler, go and sell all you have and give your money to the poor, his goal was not to increase the total number of people living in poverty. It was just the opposite. It was to decrease it. When we invert the cross and treat suffering as an opportunity, we end up being in a place where we have to ask, why would we ever work to alleviate suffering at all if God works through it? Why would we ever, as Christians, establish hospitals, work to end poverty, or feed people who need food? And I think this station of the cross tells us why. Because only the one who is suffering can decide if their suffering is going to draw them closer to Jesus or if it's going to lead them to bitterness and isolation. To decide for other people, to stand by idly while others decide for people, is to be the empire. At the beginning of the stations, Jesus prayed in the garden to be delivered from the suffering he was about to go through. And I hope and pray that we can, we can actually be the answer to that prayer for some people that we could resist the temptation of burdening others with the crosses of our making. I hope that we can be people who endure, people who pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus, instead of people who insist on other people doing it. I hope we can enjoin Jesus and resist the temptation of that power, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place of the, to the place, the place of the skull, in Hebrew, called Golgotha.
Let's pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood but to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Go in the peace, love, and justice of our Lord. And may you have the strength to endure your cross daily.